Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. I don't know about you guys, but uh, that verse is definitely on my bumper sticker. Um, that's a joke. It's not actually. Um, but my name's Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Good to be with you guys this morning as we worship the King, as we sing to Jesus, and as we sit under His Word together as a church family. Uh, fun fact about me, I love weddings. The winter season kind of tends to be uh, the engagement time, and so you get to see all the stories, all the pictures, you see all the posts on social media, and usually when I'm talking to couples, maybe who have just gotten engaged, one of my favorite things is hearing the story of like the actual engagement or the actual like proposal. Uh, I'm always just curious, hey, how much thought kind of went into it? What was the plan? How'd you scheme? Who'd you talk to? What was the whole plan with it all? Um, and I just love being able to just hear that story. A great gift that comes with being a pastor is that I often uh, will get asked or invited to participate in weddings by officiating them. It's a huge honor for me uh, to be asked by somebody to actually participate and be a part of their wedding day because as I think about it personally, that's a day that they're going to like remember for the rest of their lives. It's a day that they're coming together, they've planned, they have this great love for another person, and they're like, hey, will you we marry us? And, and it feels so special to me for someone to ask me, and I'm usually sitting there thinking, like, when they ask me, don't you know, like, Ricky's the funny one? You probably want him. Uh, but as I'm considering it, and I start thinking about invitations in general, uh, I, I just really enjoy being invited to things. I like when people kind of come to me and are like, hey, we have this going on, we have that going on, we have this going on. Uh, and usually... As people invite me, I feel honored because usually they're celebratory things, whether it's a birthday, a wedding, graduation, any kind of celebration. Uh, it, it just lets me in to kind of see what, how they feel about our relationship. And it says, hey, come celebrate this moment together with us. Like, let's, let's see what God's been doing. Let's celebrate what God's done. But if I'm honest with you guys, there's different times, there's different seasons, there's different days where maybe I've been invited to something. And you, you get the invitation or you get the Facebook notification or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I can't believe they thought of me to like be, be part of that day or part of that celebration. And then like a week goes by. Then maybe like a month. Then it's like the week of the actual event. You're kind of looking at your calendar and you're like, ow, man. I don't know if I want to go anymore. It kind of wears off a little bit. Maybe you've been thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to put this thing for sure on a hard day in our, in our schedule. And then the week kind of comes up and you're thinking, oh, gosh, so many other things have come. And you kind of wrestle with, oh, should we go? Should we not go? What does that mean? And the, the flare of it kind of wears off. I think there's a couple of things that come with that, but one of the reasons maybe why that happens, uh, specifically for me, is it kind of depends on how close you are to the person. Right? If I'm getting invited to my best friend's wedding from college and he's asking me to be the best man, there's no way I'm going to get like apathetic about the event. There's no way I'm going to get to a point where I'm like, ah, oh, dang it, his wedding is this weekend. But if it's like a high school buddy who I haven't talked to in like 10 years and he's like, hey, come to my wedding. I'm probably sitting there thinking, I haven't talked to you forever. Why are you inviting me? Probably just wants a crock pot or something as a gift. And maybe that happens to you too. Maybe, maybe you can resonate with this sort of thing where you're invited to something and you're excited originally. And then as the day gets closer, as time passes, you maybe start to feel it kind of wear off. Or maybe you don't. You're super holy and you're not like me at all. Uh, but that kind of happens. 
happens to me, and as I really consider this, I start thinking, well, how do, how do we do that with God? How do we do that with our relationship with the God of the universe who's created us, who loves us, who cares for us? When, when he's got this big invitation for us to participate in a celebratory moment that we all get to look forward to if we're in Christ and with him, there's potentially different times where we maybe get apathetic towards him and our relationship with him. We don't care as much. See, our text this morning is a parable that Jesus is giving about a king who invites his people to his son's banquet. But when it comes time to celebrate, the people who were invited to participate don't care at all. As we dive a little deeper into the passage this morning, what we're going to see is the main point is that we may become apathetic or reject God. And yet, he's still inviting us to respond and receive his kingdom. So let's dive back into the first couple of verses here, verses 1 through 10 in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to go ahead and read them again for us as we get started. It says this, once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away. One to his own farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down the city. Then he told his servants, The banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. So the first point we see here in the text is an apathetic rejection. Apathetic rejection. Leading up to this parable, specifically, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem, right? We read that with the triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. Uh, he starts turning over tables. He's frustrated with the people because they're making what was supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of thieves and robbers. And so Jesus goes away, maybe comes back about a day or two later, and starts having these conversations once again with the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests. But it doesn't seem to matter to them as he's kind of having these conversations because they continue to challenge his authority time and time again. So it gets to this point where Jesus is trying to actually teach them something. He's trying to show them something. He's trying to point them to what they might not be seeing in their own life and in their own eyes. And it gets to the point where he starts having these three parables. If you notice, these three parables are kind of stacked together and they all have a similar theme, right? It's talking about sonship. Each and every single one refer to a different son that's there. Now, in this parable specifically that we're in today, the king sends out servants. The servants tell people about the banquet that we read about in verse 3. And then they respond with saying, yeah, I don't, I don't really care too much. Not going to go. So he sends out servants again. He's like, all right, okay. They probably didn't understand how cool this party is going to be. Send them back out. Give them a little bit more detail of what it's going to be like. Hey, food's ready. It's going to be cooking. Fattened cattle, oxen, all cooked up, ready to go. They respond, apathetic once again. 
Ah, uh, I got work to go do in the field. Mm, I'm going to think about myself a little bit. And so they, they even start to get kind of annoyed. It feels like a weird tension that's kind of happening. And as they get so frustrated that the king's inviting them, they get to the point to where they want to kill his servants. Now that sounds like a pretty crazy deal. Sounds kind of just weird that they would do that, but the king, rightly frustrated, anger, angry that this happened, he sends out others to go and do away with the other murderers, and then he says, okay, this banquet is going to be full. Send out all the invitations. People were going to the end of the street, says, let's pack this place, go to the random guy who's jaywalking, go tell the guy who's at the stoplight, go stand at the street corner and just tell him, hey, the invite's for everybody. Come on in. Come to this party. Come to this celebration. Now, as we kind of look at parables, sometimes it's like, okay, what is happening? What are the connections? What is, what is Jesus alluding to with these different illustrations here? Well, a couple of things. The king is clearly God, as we've seen in the other two parables who are right before this. The son is the Messiah, so Jesus himself. And the original people who were invited, that's Israel, right? It's the people of God. As Jesus is recounting the story of Scripture. He's taking us back to the Old Testament, showing us that God, his chosen people, were invited to participate in the kingdom, to continue to multiply, build this great kingdom that would be a blessing to the other kingdoms. So this this wedding banquet then is an illustration kind of forward in time where the Messiah is having his, his wedding feast that we see in Revelation chapter 19. But when we read the Old Testament, you kind of see how Israel responds. If you're familiar with it at all, you see time and time again the stories of people being corrupted. People going against God, rebelling, choosing their own idols. They don't want to participate in life with him. In fact, they go to the point to where they kill some of God's prophets. Now, when Jesus talks about burning down the city in verse 7, he might be referring, it might be doing a prophecy that he's kind of moving forward to uh, A.D. 70 when the temple is then burnt down later, taken down later. But the main thing out of these 10 verses that we can kind of grab and see, okay, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? Well, he's telling the story of how God's people have rejected it. He's telling the story of how God's people are apathetic towards himself. Now, when the people respond with no desire, no, they have no idea why they really don't want to participate other than, eh, I got some other things to do. Something else more important has kind of come up. He gives these awesome details of the party, and they're completely hostile to the king. They don't want to do anything to participate in life with him at all. But really think about this. It's one thing to say no or ignore a friend's invitation who you haven't talked to in 10 years. It's another thing to completely reject a king. Like if, if you were invited by the king to go to this magnificent party, this place that's going to be the biggest, fanciest, most elegant reception hall that you could imagine. There's no way the food's going to be terrible, right? Like you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a sweet buffet. Ooh, chicken, salmon, steak. Which one do I have to choose? I can get all of them. It's the king's biggest banquet that he's going to have. It's a wedding for his son. Open bar, unlimited mac and cheese, best cake you can imagine. DJ's playing all the bangers from the early 2000s. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
eh, I got some work to go do. Think about the tension. It's not even just the fact that it, they're just saying no because they're like, ah, I don't really feel like going to it. They're rejecting the king. If you got invited to the next royal wedding, right? King Charles, right? You're thinking England. Okay, cool. All expenses paid. You don't even have to pay for your flight. They're taking you. Food's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. They're paying for your outfit. Uh, I don't really know. In fact, it's actually worse than that because they reject him so much that they attack the king's messengers. That's like kind of responding to this invitation and being like, hey, King Charles, like, quit bugging me or else I'm going to murder like your servants. It, it, it's escalated. It, it's this huge drastic thing that we're kind of reading and we're thinking, man, why, why would they respond this way? makes no sense, but they have such a hatred for the king, such apathy towards him, that they don't want to give their time or attention, and they want to kill the king's messengers. They're sending a message basically to him, saying, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom, and I want you to get out of my life, and I don't want you to be my king. Stop trying to have a relationship with me. That's what they're saying to him. How often do we do that in our own relationship with God? In what ways might we personally be apathetic towards the king of the universe? As we think about this story and as we start thinking about the parable that Jesus is saying and the parable that Jesus is telling these people, these chief priests, these elders. I mean, he's not just talking to the everyday guy who's along the street, but he's specifically addressing the religious leaders of their day. And he's saying, you've rejected God. You've killed God's messengers. You've denied him so much to the point that you said you had other things going on because you didn't really want to have to actually participate in life with him. How have we personally done that? I think about myself in different ways that I maybe get apathetic towards God, ways that I uh, start to kind of think, ah, I just don't know if I want too much to do with him. One way that I really get apathetic towards God uh, is I over-intellectualize him sometimes. So I'm in the middle of my seminary program, about two years in, got another two years left. And as I'm kind of going through all of my classes, I'm learning, I'm taking in from these professors, reading a bunch of books, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this information is amazing. I love being challenged to write these papers, to form my own theological conclusions. I love all the, all the nitty-gritty work that we're doing in the Bible. But then when it comes time for my own like personal devotional season in the mornings, right? I get my cup of coffee, I'm ready to sit down with God's Word. I read my little passage, and I've got my journal kind of next to me. And I go, ah, I already know what this passage means. I kind of just read it, and then I just walk on without my day. Because I think, oh, yeah, I already know it. I don't really need to actually spend time with him in the middle of it. I don't need to actually wrestle with what God might actually be telling me. And I start thinking, man, yeah, God's just kind of uh, some God that I just need to know things about and not actually participate in a relationship with. I over-intellectualize him. Maybe a, a way that you might actually have some apathy towards God as you get distracted by other things. 
We see it in the parable as uh, he's inviting the people. And in verse four, it tells us that he's telling them the details. He's saying, hey, second invitation. I'm making sure you know everything about what you're going to miss. And they go, uh, got to go mow my lawn, God. Nah, I got uh, that football game I got to go watch. Uh, you start thinking, oh man, they've got something better to do. They're, they're distracted by the other things. They push him aside. Kids, uh, in the room for you guys, what are ways that maybe you guys start thinking that you could push God off to the side? Maybe some of you are wrestling with your own relationship with God. And you're thinking, oh yeah, uh, well I could just watch YouTube instead. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, well, my friends uh, have me wanting to play some Switch or just get on the Internet with them or whatever it is. For all of us, we, we have different things that we can get distracted by, whether it's our phones, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's uh, just sitting around watching Netflix and hanging out, lounging and taking a nap. There's different things that we could get distracted uh, by and we start to push God off and we get apathetic towards our relationship with him because in that moment, we're actually choosing all these other things rather than choosing God himself. We're choosing to say, mm, all this other stuff is a lot better than spending time with the king. A third way maybe that uh, we get apathetic towards God is uh, we start to think he's not actually that great. We think whatever we have going on is actually better. It's kind of mixed in with the second one because if we don't think God is that great, clearly we're going to run to other things and we're going to pursue all of these other things. And sometimes we get apathetic towards him because we start thinking the gospel is not that good. We start thinking, man, uh, we don't really need to uh, actually just sit with the good news that Jesus saved us. And we just think, uh... Yeah, okay, I know that I've moved on, I'm saved, cool, keep moving. We may start to think that mission towards others is not urgent. We, we may convince ourselves that we can be self-sufficient. And we start lifting ourselves up rather than actually pursuing God himself. So as we kind of start wrestling with this, the reality is that sometimes we can get really unthankful, really ungrateful, really uh, just looking past the everyday blessings that God's kind of given to us. And we start thinking, God's really not that special. God's really not that good. He's really not that big. He's really not that merciful. He's really not that gracious towards us. And we can get really apathetic towards him in a bunch of different ways. And sometimes it leads us to even be unrepentant in our sin. We start thinking, man, oh yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I'm forgiven anyway. Like it doesn't really matter that much because he's just going to keep forgiving us. So my question for us to wrestle with this morning is, how are you personally responding to God's invitation. How are you personally responding to the invitation that the king has given to you and said, I've got this huge wedding banquet. I want you to come. It's for my son. All expenses paid. Biggest party you could ever imagine. Best food. I want you to be there to celebrate with me. How are you responding are you responding in an apathetic manner where you're maybe pushing him off, where you're choosing these other things, where you're ignoring him and thinking all these other things are better than he is? Or are you responding in such a different way that it leads you to actually go to the banquet, 
I think there's another way to respond that we see in this passage too. So let's keep reading the next couple of verses, starting in verse 11. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Happy Family Sunday. We see the second point here is a false participation. So the, up, up before this, we saw, right, that the people were being apathetic. They're apathetically rejecting God. And here we start to see this conversation happen that God is moving towards with this person. The king is having this conversation with a man. He sees him at the wedding banquet, kind of comes in. He's like, I'm going to go hang out with my people. Invited him to the party. I'm getting on the dance floor. Walks in. Whoa. Black tie fair. Guy's rocking gym shorts. What's up with that? Goes up to him. I like how he says it too. Hey, friend. Where's your clothes? Speechless. The guy had no response. Nothing to say. No excuse. No, no, I forgot. Nothing. I, I couldn't afford it. It was actually customary for kings to provide clothes for their guests for the wedding, uh, right, for the wedding banquet, because some of the people maybe didn't have the ability to pay for wedding attire to come and celebrate. And so the king would have actually prepared it for him. He would have said, I'll buy it for you. So when he goes up to him and when he tells him and says, hey, where's your clothes? He's got no excuse to say, uh... I couldn't afford it. Couldn't do anything with it. This man's rejecting the king in a slightly different way. He's just saying, yeah, I just didn't care enough about you to bring that clothes. It didn't really matter to me that you provided everything for me. It's kind of like he's wanting to celebrate and yet at the same time not. So Jesus goes on with the parable and he shows and shares what happens next. And it's not quite the response that you're thinking of. Don't we think Jesus, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is just going to go to the back, get him a new outfit, and bring it to him. No, how he responds here is uncomfortable. It's the uncomfortability of the reality that we read of and hear. Jesus is speaking of hell once more, that the rejection of God actually has a consequence in our lives. And it's here that he's presenting it to him to actually show the people the reality of what they might be uh, pursuing rather than God. When you reject God, there's separation from him. There's outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he goes on to kind of conclude it with verse 14, which is kind of confusing because it's like, why, why is this verse here? But he says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. And it's complicated, but it clarifies what Jesus has been trying to say this entire time to the religious leaders in the parables. Now, regardless of where you land on your doctrine of election and where you're at with predestination, the, the point of what he's actually trying to communicate here is that the parable is coming back to how you respond to the invitation. It's coming back to say, how are you going to respond to the fact that the king is saying, come on in. I'm inviting everyone. You can come. All expenses paid. The king has provided for you. 
but the guy dresses, doesn't dress properly. He might be at the wedding banquet, but there's still something a little bit different about him. There's still something that doesn't feel like it quite fits in, and he's rejecting the king in a slightly different way here. And we see, well, why is this here? What is Jesus trying to communicate? What's he showing? Well, if we really consider it, the Pharisees, the elders, the chief priests, all the scribes, the teachers of the law, all of those people, they would have been doing all of the right things, right? They would have been wanting to worship God with how they recite the law, how they lead people, how they teach and instruct, and they're pointing people to righteousness is what their desire is. But at the same time, their hearts are not changed. Their hearts are far from him. And so what Jesus is illustrating here is that there's a blessing of the invitation. But at the same time, he's saying, I don't want you to be lukewarm at all. It kind of goes forward even to Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, where we read of being lukewarm and what it looks like to kind of be halfway in and halfway out. What Jesus is calling the people toward here is he's saying, you're either all the way in or you're not. I don't want you with one foot in the door and one foot out, but I want all of you. I want you to come and celebrate and actually participate and and put on the clothes that I'm giving to you. And so he's telling them to continue to say, are you all in? Makes me think of my own life. Uh, When I grew up, right, I kind of shared a little bit a couple of weeks back how I grew up in a Catholic home, but we never went to mass or anything like that. It wasn't until high school that I got invited to go to church again. It was my senior year of high school. Uh, It was my high school music teacher, actually. So uh, praise God for his courage to invite a high school kid to go to church. And I really respected him. Uh, I looked up to him as 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 a guy. And we started having a bunch of conversations. He says, why don't you come to church with me? So we went to church together. Sitting there, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I like the songs, kind of jamming out, you know, to them and uh, singing. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I can keep going. I can keep doing this thing. I can keep participating in life with this guy. And so I just continued going to church while on the inside. And what, what was happening behind the scenes was I was still continuing to abuse drugs. Didn't care about my purity. I was living a life that I was participating in church on Sunday mornings, but. There was nothing different on the inside of my heart. Still completely far from God. So while people looked at me, they maybe thought, oh, he's a nice guy. Listening to the sermon, taking communion, went to youth group a couple of times. But nothing was different on the inside. I was showing up, but I didn't have the right clothes on. Then in college... If it came up in conversation and people talk about church or Christianity, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I went to church one time. I did that thing. Start kind of participating in some of the actual conversations. Maybe went to crew a couple of times, like my junior, senior year. Started thinking, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'll participate. I like the songs again. While at the same time, I'm caught up with people's approval, climbing the social ladder. Again, continuing to abuse alcohol, obsessed with my own image and the party lifestyle. Even when a friend started taking me to church again later in college, I continued to attend Sunday mornings. I would take notes to Pastor Dan's sermons. I'd pay attention to what he's saying. I'd go to the Bible study. I'd go to FCA. I'd go to crew. But nothing was actually different in my life. I'd still be being picked up on Sunday morning with the stench of alcohol on me from the night before. Friends, there might be some of you who are sitting in this very room who are living a very similar life. 
who, who have been coming to church, been participated, who've been invited to God's kingdom. As Jesus is extending his hand to you and he's saying, come and do life with me. Come be part of the banquet. Come and celebrate and rejoice of what I have for you. A free gift of everlasting life. And you might still be potentially faking it. We see this false participation that's actually happening in the life of of this man here. And as the parable is calling us to continue to turn away from the false participation and actually enjoy the wedding banquet with God himself. As we kind of consider this whole thing, we might be thinking, okay, cool, well, how do we falsely participate even if we're walking with God personally? What are ways that we as Christians continue to falsely participate? And we start thinking, yeah, I'm going, I'm showing up, I've gave my life to Jesus, but there's a stage of rebellion that sometimes happens, and it almost seems like if this scenario went a little bit differently, I, I feel like the, the, the image that Jesus might give or something we could kind of imagine is someone who's got the clothes on, who's come to the wedding banquet, but has stepped out for a while, who's thinking, uh, but the field looks pretty good to go work on. And Jesus is saying, will you come back in? He's drawing us to continue to conclude and see that God wants all of us. He doesn't want a false participation. He doesn't desire for us to be apathetic in our rejection of who he is. But God is calling us to continue to live life with him. The thing that we read here in this parable is that God's not okay with us just having one foot in the door, one foot out. He wants us to continue to worship him completely. He's not excited that we're saying, okay, I'll show up, but I'm not going to put the clothes on because I just want to continue to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Only a fake version of Christianity teaches that as long as you believe in God, you can live how you want. Shane Pruitt uh, said this. He said that too many people want a God that will change their eternity, but not change their life. Here's the beautiful thing about this parable. Jesus shares with us that we must see the heart of the king throughout the entire thing. You go back to the beginning of the parables. Jesus is speaking to the kingdom of heaven. He's painting them a picture of what the kingdom is like. He says it's a wedding banquet who the king is inviting people to come and participate in this beautiful celebration. This day that they're going to remember for the rest of eternity. It's going to be burned into their memories of what God has done in this beautiful celebratory moment. And he's saying, come and participate with me. All the while he gets rejected. What's he do after they say no the first time? Oh, I'll just give them a little bit more detail. I'll tell them about how awesome it's going to be. Oh, his messengers get killed. What happens then? I'm going to keep pursuing people to the ends of the earth. I'm going to send people to the rest of the world, to the end of the globe, to continue to tell people about who I am, what I've done, how my son has freed them from their sin and given them eternal life. This is what the king is continuing to do while they reject him time and time again. The king's invitation is still to come and feast. He's saying, I've bought the food. I've paid for the venue. I don't care if you're good or bad. I've come for you all. There is nothing that the people are required to do before they actually go and participate. It's a free gift for them to come and be invited. It's a free gift of life that they could have with him. And the same invitation is here for all of us today. 
Whether you've said yes to Jesus decades ago or whether you've never said yes to Jesus and you've continued to fake it your entire life. Even if you've been living in this false participation, coming to church hungover like I was, trying to show off to your friends or even pretending like you're hiding behind this social mask that you're saying, I have it all put together and I think this is what I'm supposed to do so that people will think I have everything put together. Jesus is continuing to say, so you come into the banquet? He's continuing to run after us time and time again as we continue to look at him and say, yeah, I'm in. Because as we really consider it, one of the most beautiful things that we could see is time and time again is that people reject him over and over and over. He sends countless people to say, you're still invited. Are you going to come? He goes back and he says, man, those people who rejected him at first, they're not worthy. The reality is none of us are worthy of the king's invitation. Who am I to be invited to King Charles' son's wedding? Like, no way I would ever get invited. He has no idea I exist. But the God of the universe, he's inviting each and every single one of you, all of us, to come and participate in life with him. How much more beautiful could it be that we have a God who said, Man, it matters so much to me that this place is full of people. It matters so much to me that the people I've created continue to live in eternity with me. It matters so much to him that he said, I'm doing the work for you. And when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. That's the beautiful gift that we have as we realize and start to see what this wedding banquet is. It's a beautiful picture for us to participate in life with God, to respond to the invitation because God is so good, so merciful, and so kind that he's not requiring anything of us to participate in this. I mean, when we read here how the king is asking this person about not having the wedding attire on, the, the beauty of it is that we don't have to fake it. We don't have to stand there with, with no reaction to the king and completely speechless to him. Because he's already bought the clothes for us. I mean, look how the Old Testament describes it. Isaiah chapter six, or 61, verse 10. It reads, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, as a groom wears a turban, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's painting the picture of God's the one who's providing the clothes. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, see, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. The king's inviting us to respond to a beautiful gift. The king's inviting us to respond to an invitation to the party. The king is saying, come on in, free. It's the free gift of salvation that we have in Christ that we could say yes to Jesus. And it's better than anything else we could ever imagine in our lives. The best banquet we could ever think of. Multiplied to eternity. I mean, this is a feast that we would never want to miss. There's nothing in our schedules, no party that could ever compare. And so today, church, the king might be asking you, so are you going to RSVP? Are you coming to the banquet? Let's pray. 
Lord, thanks uh, so much for how good you are. Thanks that we have a God who continues to save. Thanks that we have a God who continues to move in our lives. Lord, I pray uh, for each and every single one of us that as we consider uh, the invitation that you've given to us, as we consider the reality that uh, we may be people who have been walking with you for years and decades, Lord, that as we maybe came to faith at a young age, that uh, sometimes the rhythms and routines of spiritual disciplines or prayer or reading scripture or coming to church or participating in city group or whatever it might be, sometimes uh, can get a little stale in our hearts. It it can start to look like our faith is dead. It can start to look like we are uh, far from you, God, but I just pray that you would move in our hearts, that we would be moved to great worship, to awe, uh, to the beauty of who you are. Lord, I pray for any of us who might be uh, like the person in the parable who wasn't wearing the right clothes. Uh, God, that we wouldn't have one foot in and one foot out. And one day we feel like we're going to give you two hours of our time at church. And then the rest of the week, we're just going on about our life, doing whatever we want and whatever we see fit. Lord, I I pray that we would not uh, falsely participate, that we would actually engage in what you're doing, that we would be reminded that you have come as a saving grace that you've accomplished the work on the cross, that you've paid for our sin, that we could have everlasting life with you, Jesus, because of what you've done. Lord, would we respond to this invitation with great joy? Would we participate in the beautiful wedding banquet that you have? We pray this in your name. Amen. Church, would you stand with us and sing as we respond to what we've heard?